Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. Good to have you with us. Um, have you had a good 4th of July weekend so far? It's not over yet, is it? You know what today is? Today is the 5th of July. You know what that means? Fireworks are half off. I don't ever buy fireworks on the 4th of July because today you can get more for your money, right? Anybody else subscribe to that? Actually, my ultimate goal is to let my mom come in today and go buy fireworks. That way I don't have to spend any money on fireworks. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, starting in chapter 15, we continue our series of lessons on our favorite parables of Jesus. And if you have spent any time, any time at all with me over the last eight months or so that, that I've been here, you know that the prodigal son is my favorite chapter. Luke chapter 15 is my favorite chapter in all of the Bible. I believe that it is just a blessing of a chapter to preachers because you could preach, I believe, a different sermon from Luke chapter 15 just about every Sunday and have something new to preach. I believe that this chapter is that rich in, in thought from start to finish. But it was, you know, I wasn't going to preach, even though it's my favorite, I wasn't going to preach on it because I was wanting everybody else to have their, their favorite things preached on. But then I don't remember who, but someone posted in the in the uh, Facebook feed of Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. And I was like, yes, I get to do it. And so we're going to look at it today. I'm just going to share some thoughts with you from this particular story. Uh, uh, thoughts that I hope will stick with you and stay with you. So let's, uh, before we get into that, let's go to God in prayer, okay? God, I thank you for just giving us the opportunity to worship you today. It, it is just, it is just so good to be here. And when it seems like everything in our world is upside down in so many different ways and, and things are different and things are new and, and, and at times things are uncertain, God, it's so nice to know that we can come to this place, we can unite our hearts together, we can worship you, God, and we can just know that things are going to be okay because we're reminded that you are in control. You are the great comforter. You are the great healer. You are the great I am. Let us never forget that. Let us never become so overwhelmed by our circumstances that we forget that you are this great and mighty God and that you are going to take care of us. Help us to always remember that, God. Be with us as we open your word today. May we be encouraged. May we be motivated. Most of all, may we be convicted to a greater life of service to you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So Kevin read for us this section in its entirety. So instead of reading the whole thing, we're just going to read a little bit and talk and read a little bit and talk. And that's kind of how the morning is going to go. Uh, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth 
and wild living. Let's stop right there for a second. Let's just set this stage. You've got this dad who has these kids, this dad that has these kids. And how many of you would imagine that he probably loves his kids? Do I have any parents here today who do not love their kids? That's a trick question, wasn't it? This dad loved his kids. And he has this one child that comes up to him and says, Dad, I want you to give me everything that you owe me. Essentially, that's what he said, right? Give me everything that you owe me. He's the youngest son. So according to to culture, he would have gotten a third of everything his dad had. The oldest would get two-thirds. The youngest would get a third. Regardless of how many kids there were, the oldest always got the most. How many oldest siblings? How many of you are the oldest sibling in here? Don't you just love that rule? That just because you were born first, you get the most. I like that rule. I think that we should reinstate that rule in today's society. And so if you're with me, we'll start a GoFundMe or something and we'll get that started. So, but he comes, he says, dad, give me what's mine. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Was it his? It was going to be his inheritance. But at this point, was it his? This is yes. This is no. This is I've gone to sleep. No, it wasn't his. It wasn't his, but he had in his mind, he had made up in his own train of thought, you know what? My dad's going to die eventually, and I'm, it's going to be mine then, so just go ahead. I, I don't have the patience to wait for that moment, so dad, just go ahead and give me what belongs, <coughs> excuse me, what belongs to me anyway. And look what his dad did. What does his dad do? It says, At the end of verse 12, so he divided his property between them. His dad goes, okay, hey, if that's what you want. Now, how many of you growing up in your house, if you had shown up to your dad and goes, hey, dad, I'm not going to wait for this moment in life. If you would just go ahead and give me what's coming to me. How many of you would have gotten and he divided it up and gave to you? I would have gotten something, but it wouldn't have been what I asked for. You, You get what I'm saying? It wouldn't have been what I asked for. But this dad, he just came and he says, you know what? Hey, if, hey, if this is what you want, go ahead. And then it says that he took off. Now, to me, the son has major problems, major issues. But the part of this that really surprises me the most, it doesn't surprise me when people do stupid things. Okay, I, my, my meter of that just doesn't exist anymore because I've lived long enough to know that people are just going to do things that they, they just don't make sense. And I'm not surprised by that anymore. That's just life. Anybody else there with me? That's that's where I am. What surprises me here is the way the dad acts. Who is the dad representing in this particular story? He's representing God. That's that's the image of God. And, And what I find interesting about this image of God is he says, you know what? I love you so much. I want you to know that this morning, that God loves you so much. But... If you choose to walk away from a relationship with him, you know what he says? Okay. Do what you think you need to do. Do what you think you need to do. He doesn't run to the door and stand in front of the door and go, no, you're not leaving. You know, please stay. He doesn't beg. He says, hey, do what you think you need to do. And as you look through Scripture, that image of God becomes so clear. Adam and Eve, Adam, or God didn't step right in front of Eve and goes, why don't you think about this before you do this? When David's standing up on the temple, on the palace uh, 
up on the palace roof and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba, God didn't show up all of a sudden and go, hey, wait a second, David. You might want to think about the consequences of your actions before you go through with this. No, he says, look, if you think you've got a better idea or a better way to live your life, go right ahead. And that plays back to that idea that you've heard me mention a time or two that to some degree it's taken me a while to really believe and understand. But that is this relationship with God thing, this coming to church thing, totally voluntary. It's totally up to you. God wants you. God desires you. Jesus died for you. But it's your decision. It's your call. And so the dad says, hey, if this is what you want to do, then go ahead. Verse 13 says, not long after that, the son got all he had together and he set off for a distant country. You know, in our own lives, I think in a lot of ways we can relate to that verse. We can relate to that verse. Because I think there are times in our lives that we naturally get antsy with where we are. We get antsy maybe in a relationship. We get antsy in a job. We get, we, 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 we get to a point to where what, what used to make us happy doesn't make us happy anymore. And, and we're not as uh, content as we used to be. And when we get to a point in our life, <coughs> good or bad, that we're not content anymore, what do we tend to do? We tend to go look. And a lot of times it ends up help making us look in places that we don't need to look, and it gets us in trouble. And that's what happens to the son. He's not content just being a son anymore. He wants to be his own man. He wants to live his own life. He wants to make his own decisions. One of, one of the great passages about what happens to us in our own life when we make this decision comes from James. James chapter 1 James is writing about dealing with trials and temptations. And in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So he, I like how he wipes that out, because we live in a society of excuses, don't we? Nothing's my fault. It's always someone else's fault. No one takes responsibility for their own actions. And, and so James wipes out, any, any, any gray area that we might be able to blame God for mistakes we make in our life, for sins that we commit. He says, look, don't even go down that road. And he keeps going. He says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And I like those phrases. Desire. I like that word in particular, desires. Because you see, it plays into that, that idea that I'm not content. I'm not content with where I am, with what God has blessed me with, with the situation I'm in. And so I have a desire to do something different. And look at the rest of this passage. He says, starting in verse 15, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. He says, your own desires in and of themselves are going to get you in trouble. When you get to that place in a relationship or in a marriage or, or as a dad or, or as a, an employee or, or fill in the blank there that you're not content anymore and you think there's better things out there, remember what James says. Your desire, if you're not careful, puts you on a very, very dangerous path. So let's keep going here. Back in Luke chapter 15. It says, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. 
After he had spent everything there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who set him to who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, we like to feel in control, don't we? How many of you like to feel in control? So only a few of you raise your hand. Let me ask it another way. How many of you enjoy the feeling of being out of control? So by nature, we enjoy the feeling of control. Don't we? We, like to, we like to know that things are going to go a certain way. We like to know that things are going to work out the way that we want them to work out. Things are going to be okay as long as I'm in control. And this guy thinks he's got it all under control. He's got his money, he's got his life, everything happens. And then that one thing shows up that he can't control. What is that? It's the famine. A famine strikes, a disaster, something, something that, um, th- that was not foreseen, something that he wasn't warned about. We're living in a time like that, right? We're living in a season of the uncontrolled. Something came upon us as a country, as a nation, as a world, really, that we weren't prepared for necessarily. We weren't necessarily ready for that. And when those uncontrolled circumstances all of a sudden show up, man, it just it just throws us for a loop and it puts us in a situation that we're not really sure what to do. How much different do you think this kid's life would have been if he had been home when this famine had hit? When he was at home with a dad who had maybe apparently in abundance. He had cattle, so he would have been ready for a famine. I'm sure he had things prepared, things put back. He was probably prepared for this moment. But while he's out on his own, after he breaks fellowship with his family, and he's trying to do it by himself, when that uncontrolled circumstance shows up, what he does is he goes to the lowest place he could ever get. And there's something spiritual there for us. There's something spiritual there for us that we need to stay grounded in the one thing that that always makes sense in the one person who is always in control, and that is God. Because if I'm attached to God, even in those moments of life that I get turned upside down, guess what? I still have my footing. I still have a solid rock to stand upon. I still have something to hold on to. That's where my anchor needs to be. This young man's anchor was not in the father, so he ends up going to the pig pen. What's the worst job? Just think about it for a moment. What's the worst job you've ever had? Has anybody ever had a job that would be worse than working in the pig pen? Anybody? A few of you maybe? Um, Boy, the pig pen just seems pretty bad to me. It just seems pretty bad. Uh, You know, um, pigs are just dirty, aren't they? They taste great. But they just kind of they're just kind of dirty-ish animals, in my opinion. You know, they love the mud, they 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 love being dirty. I don't know who was the first guy that goes, hey, that thing's covered in mud. Let's eat that. What was the significance of a pig to a Jewish individual? It was unclean, right? It was forbidden. You weren't to have anything to do with a pig. All right? And so what does he end up doing? Not only 
was he working with the pigs. His life was so bad. He was so hungry. He was so exhausted that he looked at the food that the pig ate, the very thing that made the pig unclean, and he goes, I want that. That's how bad off he was. And then to the, make it even more, more of a powerful point, he said he, he couldn't even get that. He was that bad off. No one gave him anything. See, that's the difference of being grounded in the Father and taken off on your own. Let's keep going. Verse 17, the, the, the key verse to the whole thing, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let's stop right there for a second and just unpack that. He makes a confession. He makes a confession. He says, look, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I'm no longer. He realizes in his mind that he has hurt his dad so bad, that, that he has sinned so bad, that even in that moment, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And, and I think there's a great lesson there for us, that none of us are worthy to be the child of God. None of us are. It's all by grace. It's all by His love. I am added and adopted to the family, not because I'm good enough, but because He loves me enough. But then I love the image of the dad there. I imagine, I imagine that there was a point maybe that the dad, well, this is just Matthew, okay? You, 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 can, you can kind of fill in the lines of the story in your own way. But I kind of feel like there was a moment where he walked his son so far from home and let him walk away. And I would imagine from time to time, he went back to that spot and thought about that moment, maybe even hopefully waiting for his son. And then one day he looks off into the distance and he sees this figure. He sees this person. He doesn't have a whole lot of skip in his step. He's, he, he's, he, he looks tired as he's walking. Then he realizes, that's my son. And what does he do? What does he do? He ran to his son. Hey, dads, how much running have you done lately? What, what would make you run? If one of my kids was in trouble, you know what I would do? I'd run. If something was chasing me, you know what I would do? I'd run. But generally, the rule of thumb is if you see me run, you probably need to run too. Because we're running from something or somebody is in trouble, okay? Running is not something after you get to a certain age. Running is not something for most of us that's just normal about what we do in our life, right? We tend to slow down as we get older. And this dad, he, he's got on this robe and he takes this robe, this dress thing, and he picks it up and he takes off running for his son. It would have been so undignified, but he didn't care. And God's the same way with you. That if you get to the point in your life where you're the prodigal son, where you say, I'm not going to worry about what God has to offer. I just want what's mine. I'm going to leave. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And I'm going to end up in the worst situation. Now I've decided I'm going to come home. 
You serve a God who says, I'm not going to wait for you to get all the way to the house. As soon as I see you, I'm going to run off after you and I'm going to love you. And I'm going to welcome you home. And I love that. I love that image. And then what he does next to me is even more powerful. He's, he cuts him off. He's going through his speech and his dad just stops him. He says, but the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put on him. Now that's a line that would be easiest to kind of read past. But where has this guy been? Where's he been working? You know what? I'm sure some of you are talking with your mask on. I just can't hear you. He's in a pig pen, right? What do you figure this guy smells like? What do you, a pig, yeah. So he's been in the pig pen, working the pig pen, and then I don't know, but he's having to walk back home. So he's walked and he's sweat and he's got all this, this mess on him. And I bet he stunk. I bet he looked awful. I bet his beard was grown out. His hair was unkept. I mean, he just probably looked the worst that he had ever seen his son ever. But what does he do? He says, get the best robe and put it on him. See, when we come before Jesus, when we come before God in our own sinful ways, that's what we look like. And through the waters of baptism, he takes that robe of righteousness and he wraps it right around us. And he says, that sin, I don't see it anymore. All I see is the righteousness. And I love that image. I love the way God does that with us. And then he says, you know, put... Um, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, make him part of the family again. And then one of the greatest verses, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Man, eating is just, it's, it's just a spiritual thing, isn't it? It's just all throughout scripture. So many great things happen around a meal. But you see, when you sit down and you have a meal with somebody, there's something intimate about that. There's a connection there that you don't get a whole lot of places. He said, let's celebrate this moment. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What a great story. What a great story. But it goes on. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf. And because he has him back and safe, he back and safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Now, for all of us oldest siblings, he's not doing us any favors here, is he? He's making us look bad, and I really don't appreciate that. So the father came out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Let's just stop right there for a second. There's all these Pharisees standing around Jesus, these, these teachers of the law who feel like they had always been faithful to God. They had always been at church. They had always done what they were supposed to do. They followed the letter of the law. And they are these people that go, I've always been here and you don't love me. You don't do anything for me. And I believe that translates to some of us who have been here in these pews our whole life. And it's easy to get this complex that I've been here. 
I'm the most important. I, I don't shake, a th- I, don't, I don't rock the boat. I do exactly what I'm supposed to do, but no one cares about me. No one cares about my opinion anymore. You know, we've got to be careful not to have that attitude, not to have this pharisaical attitude of, oh, I've always been here and I've always done what's right. And understand that it's not about us. It's not about us and what I do and what, what I want. Because look at what he says, how he finishes. He said, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Then verse 30. But when this son of yours who has squandered his property on prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And I read that. And what Matthew sees is he says, this isn't your brother's party. This is my party. I'm celebrating. We're celebrating. That's the image of all the stories in Luke 15. That when those who are lost come home, who celebrates? God. God has a party. It's not about us. It's about God. You know, I I wish verse 32 wasn't the end. Because I wonder what the son, the older brother did. I, I always wonder. That's on my list. Anybody else have a list of questions that when we get to eternity, we're not going to be the first in line. I don't, I don't want to pressure God like that. I don't want him to think I'm, you know, weird like that. We're going to wait a couple of years and then I'm going to get him and be like, hey, there's some things you need to fill in the blanks here. And this is one of them. Did the son ever go in? Did he ever get past it? I don't know. I'd like to hope that he did, and maybe one day we'll find out. What a great story. I've shared with you some of the things in this story that, that jump out to me that, that, that I find and draw from, and I hope that as we read it through a couple of times today that there were maybe some things that jumped out at you and that touch you in your life and give you encouragement. And if it's something different than what I've shared, share it with me. I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear what this story says to you. I don't know where you are. This story touches us in different ways. Some of you may be a parent of a prodigal who are wondering if they'll ever come home. Some of you may be an older brother who struggles with your place because you've always been here, yet you feel like you don't get the attention that you should. And then some of you may be the son on their way home, and today was one of your first steps back. There's someone for you to relate to in this story. But no matter who you are, know this. God loves you. And when you come home, God will treat you as if you never left. That's the overall story here. That God will treat you as if you never left home. And so I hope that that stays with you. Let's go to God in prayer as we close. God, thank you for this wonderful story, for this wonderful text that many of us have read so many times. But God, I pray that it never loses It never loses its power. It never loses its significance. And that we can grow from it every time we read it. God, I don't know where people are today, but I know that we're all in a place of of struggle, of trying to figure things out. Help us to be grounded in you, God. Help us to, when the uncontrollable happens, to grab even tighter onto your hand because we know that that's the safest place to be. But wherever we are, God, help us to turn and come home. 
to draw closer. Even if we've always been here, help us to draw closer to you and let you be our focal point. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If there's anything you need this morning, come as we stand and as we sing. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 10.30 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.